Welcome back, True Crime Army. I am your host, Margot, and this is Military Murder, a show where I discuss crimes committed by military members and veterans, and sometimes military spouses. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast. And if that's you, welcome home. All right, welcome, 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 everyone. I want to do a little bit of a show reintroduction because we have a ton of new listeners. I don't know where everyone is coming from because I have tried to branch out in the last few weeks. I mean, I have new listeners from my feature in True Crime Binge, episode 52 with Bob Ruff. I also have new listeners from my segment with Jules on Riddle Me That. We chat about Lavina Johnson, which is a case near and dear to my heart, which I discuss in episode 40. I also have some new listeners from swapping with Housewives of True Crime and True Crime Guys. And (laughs) y'all, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I started a TikTok and it looks like I've picked up a few show fans there. And guess what? For those of you who want to follow short form military murder cases, follow me on TikTok at Military Margot. That's with a T at the end. Now, I cover some cases I've already covered on the show, but I also cover other cases that I haven't covered and probably won't cover for a long time. Clearly, my TikToks are not as long and as in-depth as I get into cases on the podcast, but it allows me to cover more cases in a short amount of time. Every week, I will be taking case recommendations only on TikTok for TikTok cases, and I will pick a few to cover the following week. So for all the new listeners and old alike, I just want you to know this show is pro-military. I have immense respect for my military, men and women who go out there and do the dang thing every single day. Up until a few months ago, I served on active duty for 11 years. But listen, I'm a true crime buff, and I felt that there was a need in the true crime space that wasn't being met, specifically murder cases that occurred at the hands of military members. Those cases just I didn't feel that they were being told enough. So military murder was born. All right, enough about that. Let's get to it. This week and next week, I'm going to be dropping some exclusive interviews. You all know it's October, which is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Last year on episode 46, I covered the case of the survival of Megan Hyatt. But you heard the story told through me. My patrons had the pleasure of having access to my exclusive interview with Megan Hyatt that I did in October of 2020. But listen, in the last two weeks, we have had two very horrific deaths of pregnant military significant others. And I wanted, no, I needed to release this firsthand account of domestic violence to all of my listeners. If Megan's story can save a life, I need to be able to share that with everyone. Of course, I did ask Megan for permission to release this interview to the masses, and she agreed. Now, I just want to give you a heads up that throughout this episode, you will hear that I bleeped a few words out. Those words are not curse words. They're actual names. I didn't feel it appropriate to release people's names in order to get the point of this story across. And so I just wanted to give you guys a warning because the beeps will sound kind of weird because it's not like in the spot where you would normally hear a curse word or anything like that. All right. And with that, on with the show. Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning. This episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable. 
Welcome back, True Crime Army. You're probably here because you already heard this story on episode 46, but you are excited to hear my real talk with Mama Margot. You have always wanted to hear from a survivor, and today I am going to give you that opportunity. I had the distinct privilege of interviewing Megan Hyatt. She's a domestic violence survivor, an advocate, and a fighter. Today, you will hear firsthand how she met Gawain Rashane Wilson online. And when she met him, she thought she had finally found her Prince Charming. He was a military man, so his credibility was already sky high. What she didn't know were the secrets three women before her bore. A criminal justice system that failed those women and allowed a violent man to continue owning guns in his home. But Megan wouldn't find out truly how violent he was until it was far too late. My interview with Megan will feel more like a chat between friends rather than a legal dissection of the facts of the case. You will hear me say, wow, what? And are you serious? More than you probably care for. But this is a raw interview. I heard facts from Megan that I hadn't read anywhere else. And also, excuse the audio, this was not recorded in a studio. Megan was using her iPhone and with more than a few interruptions due to a dog, technology and electricity, we made it happen because this story must be told. Now, without further delay, let's dig in with Megan Hyatt. Let's start from the beginning. Why don't you tell me about yourself? I want to know about what your life was like growing up. I know you have a twin. So when when I heard that, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, you had a twin and she had twins. I have a twin brother and our birthday is tomorrow. Oh my gosh. Happy early birthday. Oh my gosh, 27. You guys are babies. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, yes. Tell me everything. So growing up, I I grew up in the LDS church or also known Mm -hmm. as Mormons. Um, I grew up that way. Um, it really, not that I, I don't want to bash or anything like that, but growing up in a a very religious life, I was very sheltered. I didn't really know a lot about the real world as far as I was very spoiled. I was a daddy's girl. Anything I wanted, I got, um, my dad just, but he did that for both of us, but I just, I know I was a daddy's girl. I love my dad. He was my best friend. And, um, my parents got divorced when me and my brother were 12 years old and we did 50-50 custody for a while and then we went to my dad and my mom and basically told them that we couldn't do it anymore. We just need to live with my dad. And it was nothing against my mom. It's just my dad lived in his house, which is the house we grew up in, which is where our school was, where our friends were, where our church was. So it just seemed like a realistic Thing to do because I mean my brother sat down for a long, we had a long conversation we were crying because we didn't want to hurt our parents mm-hmm. um were you guys 12 then, at the time when you guys yes, lit up okay we were 12 mm-hmm. okay and where did you grow up what what city and state so I grew up in Jacksonville Florida off okay. of a little row called Mayapple okay um, yeah it was I loved growing up there it started to go downhill though as years progressed mm-hmm the neighborhoods just started to decline and it just wasn't an environment 
that I wanted to raise my kids in. And I really wanted my dad to move out of the neighborhood, but he, he had the way he had means to protect himself in the house. Okay. So he wasn't worried, you know, he was like, no one's going to mess with me. Do they have so, a, mil- does your, did your dad have a military background or no? No. Okay. Just Southern. Okay. Southern went. Uh, <laughs> Got it. <laughs> yeah, Second Amendment southern. right all the way, right? Mm-hmm. Even though my dad grew up, you know, and had guns in the house and stuff, he didn't have, he never, he got his concealed carry and then he never, I, I don't remember what, at what age he didn't like redo it. Okay. Like re, I don't know what that's renew called. It. Renew. Yeah, renew. Mm-hmm. And so growing up, like, I don't ever remember my dad carrying a gun. I know we had a gun safe, like a cabinet, and I knew all that. Him, I don't remember seeing him ever hold a gun, like on his person. Okay. Besides, like teaching us how to shoot a BB gun in the backyard or things like that. Um, so, which is the reason I want to address that is because my dad was not carrying uh, on the day that everything happened. Okay, and I want to put that out there. My dad. That's why I said my dad doesn't carry because a lot of people are like oh, well, your dad was, you know, smart. He was Southern. He had guns in the house. Why didn't he protect himself? My dad was always a believer that God would protect him. And if it was his time to go, he would, it was his time to go. So he didn't feel the need to carry. Um, We also didn't think my ex was going to be home. Mm -hmm. But, and you guys had, so I was reading, um, he had helped you move out of Russia's house in the past. Is that correct? Or is that incorrect? Yes, him and my brother. Okay. And, and there yeah. was never an escalation of violence. Maybe it was Rush there in the past or no? So Rush was there. Actually, my dad helped me move. This, the time he died was a third time. So the first time he helped me move, it was him and my brother came and were there in like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And um, I locked myself in my room, which I had my own room there, which later turned into a girl's nursery, but it's just a place where I had all my stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, because I had woken up to him being mad at me because he had been going through my phone and I was talking to a guy, but we, we were not dating. We were not boyfriend and girlfriend. I just lived with him. Like in a lot of my posts back then I was like, Oh, with the roommate, with the roommate. But we, you know, that's what he said, but he was acting completely different. But then I found out I was pregnant and he still didn't want to date me. And so I was probably, I want to say I was two and a half months, maybe three months. And he woke me up screaming at me because, and I saw him going through my phone and I was talking to someone that I'd known in the, in the motorcycle scene, um, named uh Thomas and he was just a really good friend of mine and he he just saw it as me like cheating or whatever but we weren't together like it wasn't defined like he was staying out all hours of the night come and go wouldn't tell me where he's going wouldn't come home until eight in the morning noon the next day whatever so I I didn't see anything wrong with what I was doing I and it was just a friend. Um, but he swears that I had met up with him. And I'm like, no, like I've known him for a long time. Like we're just, you know. Um, so this was when you were like two, three months pregnant? Yeah, that was the first time I moved out. The second time I moved out, and, and that first time I moved out, my dad and my brother came. And okay. they were like, 
coming up the stairs and down the stairs, bringing all my stuff out. And Rush was on the phone freaking out because my dad was in his house and he didn't want my dad in his house. And Mm -hmm. it was just really weird. I'm like, dude, you want me gone. Like, you don't want me here. I don't want to be here now. Mm -hmm. And um, I was pregnant. I couldn't lift anything. I couldn't lift my bed. I couldn't lift my belongings. Like, I was a high-risk pregnancy. It was was, uh, always a high-risk pregnancy the whole entire time. And Mm -hmm. um, I was like, how else am I supposed to get my stuff out of here? And he's, like, on the phone with his mom, like, crying and, and, like, hands me the phone. And his, his mom is... She was, like, talking to me, telling me I should stay. We need to work it out. It's really not that big of a deal. And I'm like, I'm not going to be talked to this way. You're not going to scare me where I hide in my room and lock the door, and you're banging on the door saying, give me my phone. Oh, wow. Is it, So this is the first time still? Yeah, yes. And so Rush was home when your dad and your brother were bringing mm-hmm. your stuff in and out, but you had locked yourself in your room. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then he was calling his mom and basically had her try and convince you to stay. And what was, what I mean, what did your dad and your brother think when this was all going on? My dad told Rush, I remember this so distinctly. My dad walked up to Rush and said, let's just move her out. It's not saying she's not going to come back, but clearly y'all need to work out things. And I think it's best that y'all do this separated. He's like, I'm, he's like, I don't want any hard terms. I'm not here to start an argument with you. I just want my daughter away from what is happening here right now because you're clearly in a rage. And Rush agreed. He's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. I overreacted. And my dad, I mean, my dad was just calm, cool, and collective and just wanted me safe. You know, and my dad kept telling him, it's not like she's not, or what did he say? It's, it doesn't mean she's not going to come back. Okay. Right. And mm-hmm. so, uh, but in my head, I was thinking, I'm not coming back. Like, we're not even dating. Like, why am I? What? And this was in Jan. Yeah, I was. So it was January. I was like three months pregnant, mm-hmm. maybe four. No, three or four. And then, um, yeah, I was in January. And then February 14th of 2015, mm-hmm. um, he asked to take me out for Valentine's Day. So and what was what was going on between January when you moved out and February 14th? So I was, we were trying to work out things. I was going back and forth between his house and my dad's, like spending the night over there, you know, but I wasn't living there. I was just trying to work things out because we had twins on the way. I wanted us to be able to at least be able to co-parent. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, I was trying to, create the best relationship I could between him and I so that our daughters would have seen a healthy relationship. And I didn't want them to see a dysfunctional relationship because I know growing up seeing my parents fight. I mean, I remember distinctly all the time on Sundays or any day they would shut the door and I could hear them screaming and me and my brother would go watch TV or whatever, but they were, they would be, they would argue. And I, I didn't want that for my kids. I want, not that there's anything wrong with arguing every once in a while, but I didn't want to remember, I didn't want my kids to remember him being so angry and me crying. You know, I didn't want them, I'm a very emotional person. I don't take, when someone's yelling at me, I break down. I, and I get silent and I go into my circle and 
inside my head and I'm just um, very quiet and I listen. And it's very rarely that I ever get mad where I'll voice my opinion until everybody is calm. Mm. And part of that is being a survivor and being in fear that if I get angry, that there's going to be repercussions for my actions. Because the only time I ever really stood up to Rush and told him that we were done, I'm not coming back was that day that he murdered our daughters and my dad and then shot me and maimed me for life. And I, I, I'm really fearful of standing up for myself when there's contention. I want everybody to be calm, cool, and collective, and then I'll share how I'm feeling and why I don't agree or disagree or however the call, whatever's going on. That makes sense. That makes sense. I want to go back and talk about um, how you how you and Rush met because you talk about plenty of fish and then in your speeches you talk about how he was a prince charming and then kind of like everything switched. Can you tell me a little bit more about that, about how you guys met? So we met on Plenty of Fish. And how old were you? You were young. I, I was 20. You were 20, okay. Yeah, I wasn't even 21. Yeah, I was 20. Um, and... He was 26, almost 27. Okay. And um, I was working late um, that night. And we had been talking for like two weeks. And I really wanted to meet up with him. And he really wanted to meet up with me. And I was like, I got off work. And I was like, hey, there's no way I'm going to sleep tonight. You want to meet up now? And he was like, absolutely. I was like, okay. Um, what's your address and, or do you want to meet at the beach bars? And he's like, well, I'm actually at work. I was like, how is that going to work? And he's like, don't worry, I got it covered. And so he told me where to park and one, a sailor, um, came and picked me up in a vehicle that was the Navy's truck. Um, they picked me up and we go on base, show my ID, I'm on base. Um, and we go to this hangar or whatever. It's it's like a building. It has offices, but it's also where the helicopters are on their hangars or whatever. Oh, okay. What's... Yep, yep. It's a hangar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I get in there and he's he's on duty. And so I'm sitting there in this office and I'm like I feel like I'm not supposed to be here and he's like oh don't worry about it you're fine okay and I was like are you sure I'm allowed to be here and he's like I was like I'm not gonna go to jail am I and he's like no no you're fine you're fine you're fine well and then we get to talking he's like oh I have so much to show you and I was like what and he's like you know I have some stuff to show you I was like really and he's like yeah follow me so we go into the helicopter hangar and he's like showing me all these helicopters mind you i'm on a navy base like stuff i'm not supposed to be seeing and um yeah so he showed me all the helicopters i got up in one of them and uh and then we go back to his office where he was on duty and i'm there until seven in the morning when he gets off what wow okay 
So that's when you guys are chatting. Because I remember, I remember, I remember you saying like you guys had stayed up seven hours chatting, and I was like, that's a long time to be on the phone. But you know, people could talk on the phone forever. Yeah. But was that no. your first time on a base? No, I oh, okay. um that base that was Mayport, um where he was originally, and that base. Um, they did a lot of, um, back when I was a teenager, they did, um, a boy scout camps oh, on base. Okay. So I had done that. Okay. So you guys have this first, I guess you could kind of say first date ish, right? On the, yeah, on the Navy of. base. Was it, you said it was, uh, it was, um, Navy base or Navy, what is it? Navy air station Mayport? Is Mayport. Yeah. Mayport. So then, um, so then does he take you home or does he take you back to your car? So he takes me back to my car. We get to my car. And this is where he became my Prince Charming. My car was dead. Oh, I, that was when your, your battery was dead. Okay, this mm-hmm. makes so much sense. Okay. Yeah, and I believe I left the light on because it was pouring down rain the previous night, oh, which yeah. is when I was waiting for to get in, waiting for my ride right. to get on base. And so I guess I left the light on in my car. And so my car was completely dead. And he's like, no worries. We'll go back on base. I know a couple of people that live on base. We can get some um, jumper cables. So I was like, okay. So we finally wake someone up at seven o'clock in the morning on Saturday. And we, the jumper cables, we go, we jump my car. And he's like, are you going to go home? Or if you want to come back and watch that movie we talked about, which I don't even remember the movie that it was a, it was a motorcycle movie though. <laughs> I don't know, which we both, I had a motorcycle, right. And I didn't know how to ride. I didn't, I, I knew the basics, but I was not coordinated yet enough to, um, actually drive it on the road. Oh my gosh. So that was something that he liked was that I had a motorcycle and I was like, and basically I asked him if he would teach me how to ride my motorcycle. Mm-hmm. So, um, which he did. And um, so I get back to his house, which is ironically five minutes from my dad's house where I live. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, it was crazy. And um, we ended up watching a movie. We we go get breakfast and we just are enjoying each other's company. I think all together we started hanging out at one in the morning and I had to be at work at three. So I left at like one. So it was like, probably like 12 hours. Wow. 12 hours. Okay. So wait, the, the house that he lived in when he was at Mayport wasn't the same house that he lived in at the end. No, no, no. Yeah. Okay. We, we picked out the house that we lived in at the end. Oh, okay. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. How far mm-hmm. is, wait, what, where was he stationed at the end? Nibble? So he was, he was stationed at NES Jacks. Jacks. And how far is that from Mayport? So Mayport's in Jacksonville as well. Oh, okay. It's just I was on opposite ends. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. So from then on, were you guys pretty inseparable or what was the transition? I know you guys ended up um, moving together pretty quickly. Yeah, I would say we were pretty much inseparable. You know, we would go, I would go riding with, I would be his backpack, which backpack means that I ride on the back of his bike. I'm his passenger. And, uh, or we would ride bikes together. We would go. Oh, he had his own bike? Yeah, he had his own bike. He had had two bikes. Okay. No, he had, yeah, he had two bikes. Okay. Maybe, yeah, two or three bikes, two bikes. And uh, one bike he bought because of me. He wanted, I told him how much I wanted someone to ride with. And um, so he went and bought a bike the next day. 
And that just to me was like so awesome that he would do that. That was our thing was motorcycles. Okay. We rode all the time. And then you guys moved in together within like two months. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did you move into his house where he was originally living or did you guys? Yeah, net court. The net court house. Yeah. We, um, we, I moved in there, which is where a lot of his previous relationships had stayed as well. Okay. And then when did you guys move to the new house? We moved to the new house on October 18th, 2014. October 18th? Mm-hmm, 2014. Okay. That, that's the new house. Okay. And then at what point would you say that with, you know, hindsight being 2020, that there was like a moment where you were like, mm, something's not right here. When, when did that happen? Honestly, probably when sexual things like the sexual abuse started to happen. And that was after the kids? After mm-hmm. That was after the girls were born. Okay. Okay. So you would say after that, basically like the NICU incident, was that the big, well, there was a time where you were pregnant and he threw the table. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Okay, no, but, he threw the picture. He threw the picture. Oh, he threw the picture. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. The table, the table was after the girls were asleep upstairs. That's right. Okay. So okay. he threw the picture, which honestly, that probably was that was something I had never experienced was something being thrown at me and it definitely caught me off guard. Mm. But all he did was explain it away later on. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't think that it was that big of a deal because he was able, that's what abusers do. They just explain away the problem or they say you're the problem and that's why they can't control themselves. Right. Right. Well that, yeah, that's, that's, that's usually how it works. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about, cause I haven't really found much information on rush. Can you tell me a little bit more about his background? Like, you know, how long, what, what did he do in the Navy? How long had he been in? What was his rank? That type of, I don't know anything. So when we were together, he was an E5 mm-hmm. or an E4. And then, yeah, he was E4 and then he became E5, I believe. And then right before um, he died, before he committed suicide, he became E6. Oh, he had already pinned on the E6? or mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That was fast yeah. then. Yeah. Okay. Um, which, yeah, he became E6 right after, right before I left. So the girls were like right at four and a half months, maybe, maybe a little bit more than four and a half months was when he pinned on E6. From what I understand, um, he was at Mayport for the first seven years of his career. And apparently from, he said, she said, is that they were noticing he had anger issues and the domestic violence stuff that was going on between him and his significant others. And then he got transferred to NAS Jacks and basically the paperwork got lost, um, lost from one command to the next. Um, and then, uh, he was a helicopter mechanic. Mm-hmm. In on um, on the Mayport base, and then I don't know. So 
right before me in February of, um, I want to say it was February or March. No, it's February of 2014. That's when his ex-girlfriend shot him. Oh yeah. So t- so wait a minute. First, when did you and Rush? When, when did you guys meet on? Uh, we met on June eighth, two thousand and fourteen. Exactly a year later, our girls were born. Oh, okay. So in February of fourteen, he was dating someone else that shot him. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. How, did you know about that? Did no. You, did you learn about that know, after? I didn't know about. I, I didn't know about any of this. I knew he was shot. And when I looked her up on her records, it said that she had an attempted murder or assault with a deadly weapon. And so he was just able to explain in a way that he, she was the crazy one. Well, at some point, her charges were dropped due to information and a private investigator. Nothing was done on his part. Which he got shot. Very- Where did he get shot? He got shot in the upper thigh, oh. and it exited out his um, his gluteus. So you knew, so but you knew that he had been shot when you guys were. Yes, dead. yes, because he had a leg. He couldn't flex his foot. Um, he was still recovering from it. He still had he had a huge surgery to <gasps> fix his leg in Dece- in that first December, that first Christmas when you guys were together, December of twenty fourteen. Mm-hmm. And he oh. was gone. He was gone. What do you mean gone? He was at he was at a um like a rehabilitation naval hospital up in near Washington, I think. Oh, so so he told you that he had been shot by a crazy ex girlfriend. By a crazy ex girlfriend, but but now after everything happens, you discovered what? It was self defense. It was self defense, but you don't know anything about the incident. No, no, I do. I just, I made a promise not to share. Oh, okay. I okay. know. I, all I know is that all I can share, not all I know, all I can share is that, because me and the girl are really close friends now. Okay, good. Um, all I can share is that um, she felt inspired to protect herself. So she um, put her, she has her concealed carry. She put a gun under her arm inside of her jacket. She was moving her stuff from outside, from inside his house into her car. And um, he came out in a rage and she ended up on the ground Mm -hmm. and she rolled over and shot him in the leg. Okay. Okay. And, and since you've also discovered there have been other incidents of domestic abuse Mm -hmm. against other women or the same woman? Other women. Other women. Did you learn the facts of those? I know that one girl, Daniela, Danielle did a news story with First Coast News. Mm-hmm. Danielle Johnson, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, um, and then there was his ex-wife, who I don't know anything about. I just know she left him on uh, Valentine's Day. And, um, and then there was... Um, I've also found out from some of his friends that it's not the first time that he's had an issue with threatening to shoot people with a gun or using a gun. Oh, wow. So apparently from what the girls have said that that he was with previously 
all of them say there was some threat of gun violence towards them, which is why they left. Also, him and some friends were at his house, at Rush's house, and a gun was pulled. Rush pulled a gun on a, on a young man, and um, everybody was able to tell him to put it away. He's, you're being dramatic, like, calm down, blah, 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 and he put the gun away. Was it with other Navy friends? Um, I believe some of them were still enlisted and some of them were retired. Oh, okay. Or unenlisted now. Yeah, they had gone out. Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer, and she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy, and it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus, which listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your car and use my code Mama Margo, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T for 15% off. Enjoy. And when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. In this section, Megan is going to circle back to what she was telling us earlier that She had moved out for the first time in January of 2015 when she was pregnant. And so that's where we're going to pick up now. But let's keep going here with, so you were talking about, so in January you moved out. So you guys were continue trying to work it out. And then Mm -hmm. on February 14th, he made a nice gesture and wanted to take you out. So tell me about that. Yeah. So it was Valentine's Day, which Valentine's Day for him was always a holiday we weren't going to celebrate because that's when his ex-wife left him was on Valentine's Day. Oh, and wow. Okay. So I had never celebrated Valentine's Day with any man. I'd never been in a relationship on Valentine's Day. So I, it was important to me to at least, you know, do something. And he's like, even though it's a terrible day for me and brings up hard memories, let's go to dinner. We'll go to whatever restaurant you want. And, um, you know, he's like, I want to ask you some questions. And I said, okay. And so I was like, all right, you know, why do we have to go to dinner for you to ask me questions? Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I was a little confused, but I was like, whatever. He's making an effort. So we go to this place at the town center in Jacksonville, and um, 
then we, we go to Bahama Breeze, which is my all-time favorite restaurant. <laughs> like, their coconut shrimp is so good. So delicious. And, um, mm-hmm. So we sat there. We got a table. We sat down. And um, while we were waiting outside, though, he was holding my hand. And we were just casually having conversation about the weather. And it was a little awkward. I was like, you know, why is he, why is he holding back so much? And, um, and then we sit down and he's like, I want you to be my girlfriend. And I was like, really? Which we hadn't, I hadn't been his girlfriend since before I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you want me to be your girlfriend? Like I was so, I was surprised. And he's like, I want you to come home. And I was like, and I asked him, I was like, are you going to blow up at me like that ever again where I'm scared and I'm locking myself in a room and he's like no I promise I won't and I said if you can keep that promise I'll come home and so later on that week I moved back in and um we I didn't move out until the girls were a month old or they were a month and a half. They were home for like two weeks. Because you went into NICU. you went into labor at how many weeks? Well, I didn't go into labor. It was an emergency C-section. Okay. At thirty-three weeks. Thirty-three emergency. weeks. Mm-hmm. So tell me about that. And so the girls were in the NICU for. I want to say, Reese was in there for twenty-one days, and Rose was in there for twenty-eight. And that was, wow, that was an experience. As far, it was an amazing experience with my girls. I felt safe. I, I got to see them grow. I was in an environment where I was supported. But um, I want to say, so after I had an emergency C-section, I stayed one night, and, or two nights, and then I went home. And I didn't want to go home, but Rush told me I had to come home and I'm crying on the elevator. And he's like, you should be grateful you even have a home. And like being like, just being mean to me. And there were people on the elevator, like listening to him being so mean. And I'm like, bro, like I just gave, like gave birth to my daughters. Like I'm an emotional wreck. Like I don't want to leave them. Why do I have to leave them? Why can't I stay? The NICU that, we had the girls at was a 24 hour NICU. Right. So there was, they were in one room together. There was a couch that pulled out into a bed. There was, they had a common room with a refrigerator, microwave, sink, eating area. They had two showers on that, in that NICU. So everything I had, I I had access to everything I needed. Why couldn't I stay there with them? Well, I ended up going home with him reluctantly, and I was a hot mess the whole night. I didn't get any sleep, and I'm, like, having to pump because I'm trying to get them um, um, breast milk, and it was just, like, I was so stressed. I wasn't producing anything, and so the next day, I my mom was coming to pick me up and take me up to the hospital and take me to lunch, mm-hmm. and I packed a bag. And I went to the hospital and I never left. Mm -hmm. And Rush was mad that 
I didn't come home. And I'm like, why do I have to be home? Our daughters are here. They need to be taken care of. Yes, they would have been fine without us. The nurses are there. They're on a schedule. They have access to doctors. They're, but I want to, I want to feed them. I want to have, you know, skin to skin. I want, you know, I want that. Right. And um, they deserve that. They're, why should they be scared? You know, I mean, granted, they're babies, they're infants, but they have fear. They have feelings just like us. Like, you know, I'm thinking of myself, like, I don't want my daughters to be scared. I want them to know that mommy is there and they are loved. So I stayed and the Did next he ever visit? day. Did he ever visit yes. them? Okay. A lot. A lot. Okay. Um, but not as much as I would have liked. Um, he, so where his base was, mm-hmm. and he tracks on his way home, he could pop by the hospital. Okay. It was like on the way home. Okay. So he would pop by and come and see them, but then he would go home. So probably like three days, maybe give or take, um, his mother came into town and his, his sister, who was 13 at the time, lived with us. Uh, I was wondering how old she was. Cause I remember you told the stories and her his sister and I was like, how old could she be? Okay. So 13. Yeah, she was 13. Um, why she lived with us. I'm not really sure why. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't want to raise a teenager. And I also didn't think that she was happy here. Well, happy where we were. Because Rush didn't let her go play with the kids in the, in the, the neighborhood. He didn't, you know, let her do anything. She had to come immediately home and had to stay home. And I didn't think that that, that was fair. Um, because I would give her permission to go out and play. And then it would be, you know, she's asking me. I'm the one that's home. And I would always have to tell her, oh, well, you're going to have to ask your brother. You know what I mean? And it just was. And every time she asked, she was always like, no. And I was just like, so like, it broke my heart because I knew, I knew what it was like to be a kid. And she right. grew up in New York City. And so yeah. I can't even imagine being in a city where there's, I mean, there might be Macy trees at Central Park. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I have never been to New York, but um, I didn't think she was happy, and I didn't think it was the us raising her was the best for her. When did um, she? When did she initially move in with you guys? She moved in. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, it was right after we found out I was pregnant, though. It was. I want to say. I want to say like maybe like end of February, beginning of March. Okay. I, I do not remember though. Okay. Uh, but um, back to the NICU. So I had been there for like three days and his mother comes into town. Um, she had taken a Greyhound and it was, I guess like 15 hours. I don't know. And she came on a Greyhound after she knew the girls were born and came and stayed. And, um, his sister was 13, right? I'm going to reiterate that. She was 13. To come into the NICU, you had to be 16. Oh, okay. And so, but she looked older. She looked, she looked 
like a grown woman. Mm. Um, and I'm at the NICU and Rush is telling me he's bringing his mom in. And then I look out the, the room that I'm in with the girls and I see his sister, which I love. Well, I mean, I don't know how she feels about me. I really don't care. But while she was in our home, I really did care for her. And um, so I was, I went into protective mommy mode and was like, she can't be here. Like she's 13, you know, like she can't know the, the rules are 16. I've always been a rule follower, like always follow the rules. Like I'm very mm-hmm. rule oriented. Like, mm-hmm. and they lied to the nurse and said, yeah, she's 16. And she looked like she could be 16. She looked like she could have been 18. Mm-hmm. But I was just so mad. And so I'm sitting in the, on the couch and I'm pumping milk and I'm so mad. I'm so mad. I'm fuming. And the nurse, um, his mom is sitting next to me and Chanel is like touching all over the babies, which is making me even more mad. And, um, and the nurse comes by and says, Megan, are you okay? Is everything okay? I said, yeah, everything's great. And, um, she walked off and then his mom has the audacity to say, why is she asking if you're okay? Is she racist? Does she Uh. not want us here? Mm-hmm. why are you not okay why does she why does she have to know if you're okay and I was livid I remember I was like first off she's not racist second off Chanel's not even supposed to be here and I was so mad and I was just like because I felt in my heart I felt like they were endangering my babies was Chanel really endangering my babies no but I followed the rules and I didn't want you know if if you lie in the NICU and you let people in that are not old enough to let in their main concern is the babies they'll kick you out and you won't have access right until they're ready to go home and I didn't want to lose access to my my children and um and it turned into this huge argument security was called and Rush um, was there Rush was in the room and he was mm-hmm. he was hearing everything so he got mad mm-hmm. yep and um Rush was Rush's mom and Chanel were escorted off of hospital property, but before they were escorted off of hospital property, the two securities guys came. I was outside the NICU doors, like the NICU doors locked. I was right outside the doors with them, and um, like being, I, we were in this arguing match, and um, so me and Rush were in an arguing match, and um, the two security officers came. One was black and one was white. And his mom was like, oh, now they've called the police on you. Going, you're going to go, you're going to go to jail. They're racist. It was all about racism. I'm like, what is that? Like, one is, what? How? That doesn't even make sense to me. But I was just like, y'all are crazy. And I, the security officers walked them out. And took escorted them off the property. Is this and, where, where uh, Wayne was like yelling? He was yelling at you. Was he cursing? Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more about oh, what what oh, caused. I, so apparently, I was disrespecting his mother. Which was I a little disrespectful? Yes. Did I have the right to be disrespectful? No. Should I have handled it better? Yes. But I wasn't a NICU. My daughters are hooked up to all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm just given birth. 
four days prior, five days prior. I, I just, I was overwhelmed and I had had enough with them. Um, and, uh, Rush was just, he was so mad at me for disrespecting his mother. I don't disrespect your mother like that. And I'm like, you literally met my mom the other day at the hospital. Like you've met my mom once. I've met your mom a handful of times. And, um, he's like, I'm, I, I can't believe you're so disrespectful and blah, blah, blah. And then he screamed at me. He's like, you know what? You can move your shit out. I was like, Oh, really? Don't have to tell me twice. I'll be gone. So I'm, we're still screaming at each other. I'm like, I don't need you. I don't know why you think I need you. I don't need you for anything. And he was going on saying how he'll sign his way of rights, his rights away. Um, so he doesn't have to take care of the girls and I can just go live my life however I want to live it. And he won't have anything to do with them. Yeah. It was uh, so extra. Yes. So extra. And, and, and the nurses, was he yelling at the nurses too? Did I read that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because they, the nurses were telling them to leave because they were screaming and yelling in, in the Nikki room where the girls were. And babies are super sensitive to stuff like that. And they asked them to leave. And it was all we could do to get them outside of the doors. And security was called. And once they were escorted out, after telling me I need to leave, I need to pack my things, I'm not welcome in his home anymore, um, I can have all the girls' stuff, and he'll sign his, way, his rights away, um, I go through the doors, I'm a crying hot mess, because I'm like, great, now he's kicked me out, and um, kicked me out, and my mom was on her way up there, because my mom wanted to meet his mom, like, my mom actually, like, wanted to have a blended mm-hmm. family, like, she wanted to put the best effort forward and I call my mom crying like he's kicked me out like where are me and my daughter's gonna go I was like I don't have anything here um and she's like you you're you will have a place and the girls will have a place in our home always and then um the nurses came and talked to me about domestic violence and a social worker was called and I was just in such denial I was like no he's just got anger issues you know oh y'all are overreacting and I was young and naive, and quite frankly, I was dumb. Um, I wish I'd been educated better on what a healthy relationship looked like. I wish I was educated better on what red flags were. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything is a learning experience. You know, I had to learn the hard way. And unfortunately, I wish I had learned sooner. Yeah. Did they ever let him back into the NICU after that incident? I had to give permission for him to come into the NICU. Okay. And you, and you gave that permission. How soon out? So what, so what was kind of um, the relationship like? So he, he's like, you know what, you got to move out and you tell your mom, he's kicked me out. And then what basically happens between that point And then when you move back in with him or when the girls leave the NICU, tell me about that. So he turned off my phone, which was his phone technically, but I was oh. paying my bill. So, uh, that day, that very day, um, when he left the hospital and I guess when he got home, he turned off my phone and wanted it back and I had no way to communicate with anybody. So my mom and stepdad went and got me a phone and said, you don't ever have to worry about your phone being turned off ever again. 
I'm sitting there and I'm just a hot mess. I'm like, great. Like, and my mom is like, you know what, let's go get dinner. And the nurses will take care of the girls. They won't let Rush in. They won't let his family in. They're safe. And um, let's, let's go get dinner and let's go get you some things for the NICU. So you have some clothes and stuff. And Rush is now contacting my mother and trying to message me on Facebook because he turned off my phone. So he can't reach you. Mm-hmm. He's so, that's so, ugh, okay. Yeah, it's like, what was the point? Um, and I'm ignoring him. And I want to say a week later, maybe a week and a half later, me and him, um, my mother and stepdad were at the NICU. We had just went and gotten barbecue. And then we're at the NICU and Rush calls me and tells me he would like to come in um, to the NICU and see the girls. And I was like, are you going to behave yourself, basically? Like, are you are, are you going to behave? Like, are you going to have outbursts? Are you going to make me upset, make the girls upset? And he said that he just wanted a family and he wanted his family to be whole and he was sorry for exploding on me and that he would make it better by proving that he could control himself and his anger. And I was like, okay, like, whatever. Um, I let him come and see the girls and, um, and I was so tired. I like was laying on the couch that turned into a bed and he, laid on the couch next to me and was like cuddling me and I'm like bro like this is not the time to do this like you I'm mad at you and he's like you know Megan I just want our family to be perfect and I just want a really happy family and I'm sorry I blew up I just want the best and I I was like so you're not going to sign your rights away he's like no I don't want to sign my rights away I want I want you and the girls in my life and I said okay he asked me if I needed my phone back. I said, no, my mom and stepdad got me a phone. And he's like, so you don't need my phone anymore? I was like, no, nope, I don't want your phone anymore. And then I went home with him. We took, we took Reese home. Reese was the twin. She was 20. She was bigger by, I want to say like a pound and a couple ounces. Um, so we took Reese home and, um, and then a week later we brought Rose home and um, and you moved back in with him so you never actually moved out you just lived in the NICU during the time correct and then correct. and then when you left the NICU you went back to his house correct okay gotcha okay you know we have both babies home we're so excited they'll be a complete family now and his mother was there um and I, I told Rush, part of, the, part of our conversation in the NICU was, what did I want and, and how can he make those things happen? I said, I don't want your sister living with us anymore. And he was like, why? I was like, because we shouldn't be raising her. Your mom should be raising her. I was like, we barely know how to, barely know how to take care of infants. Mm -hmm. Like, how are we going to take care of a 13-year-old? Like, we don't even know. And I was like, I think it's just best for her to go home to New York City with her mom. And 
I was like, I was like, I'm not, I was like, I'm not moving back. I'm not moving back in until, until he was back home. And um, I was like, because I don't want that responsibility. And I know that sounds very selfish, but I, I had twin newborns to handle and that is exhausting. Um, Anyone Mm -hmm. that's taking care of twin newborns, especially when they have to eat every three hours. So they're eating every three hours. You get the twins on 30 minutes apart. So all you have in, in that time is feed, change, and put to sleep, feed, change, and put to sleep the other baby. And then you, you may have two hours to sleep. But then you also have to wash bottles. You also have to go get formula from the store. You also have to wash clothes. Like, there's no, there's no sleeping. That's exhausting. And, and it, but it was the best exhaustion. I know. I miss it. Um, back when I was going through that, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait for them to be older. And I would give anything to have those days again where I'm running on two-hour intervals of sleep and am completely exhausted just so I could hold them again. Yeah. Um, But so and her mom went home. They took a Greyhound bus back to New York City. I didn't necessarily, his mom didn't like me from then on i was gonna say is there i'm assuming that there may have been bad blood was she at the house for the whole three weeks or so that the kids were in the nicu yes okay and when we got home from the nicu she was there the next time i left his mother came back in town and it was just it was i couldn't handle it i was so tired of the just comments made about me or made toward me or I was mad at um, the things Rush was saying to me and the way he was treating me and he never treated the girls any differently like he was always he was always a good father Mm -hmm. you know he never I never saw him do anything that you know wouldn't a, a father wouldn't do right and um and I was like, you know what? I've had enough. And it was so Rush's friends, his baby mama or girlfriend or whoever she was was having a baby. Mm-hmm. And um, so they had a they had a um, baby shower, and everybody was wondering if me and the girls were going to go to the baby shower. I was like, I'm not bringing my girls to a baby shower. Everybody's going to want to hold them, touch them. Like, they are still preemies. Like, they're not even out of their preemie clothes. Like, there's no way I'm going. What was this, like, Um, August? Like, August or the end um, of July? Or do you remember? Was he, like, uh, was he a military friend? Yes, he was. They worked together. Um, I'm not really sure when it was. I just remember it was a baby shower. I want to say, I want to say it was probably closer to August. Okay. Like, mid-August. Maybe closer to September. Um, because they were born in June, right? No, mm-hmm. in June. Okay, yes, yep. June eighth. June eighth. Yeah, okay. so I want to say it's probably like mid August, late August. Okay, so they're still tiny. They're still they're like full. They're like full term at this point, right? Forty yes, forty weeks. Barely. Yeah, exactly. I get you. Barely. Well, um, 
and I, they asked me if I wanted to go. I said, absolutely not. I'm not taking my daughters. I'm not going to risk their health. And Rush was like, okay, I understand. You know, everything will be okay. Like you stay here, get some rest. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can, and blah, blah, blah. Like here's, I was in, we were in front of his mom, which is why he was being so nice. And, um, so you like, would say he's, he was nice to you in front of his mom, except for that one time in the hospital. Yes. Oh, interesting. That is interesting. Okay. Behind my back. Was he nice to me? Probably not. Like seeing mm. as what, seeing the facade that his mother and sister, sisters have of me and who I am, they basically said that, say that I was using the girls to control him and was using them as a way to manipulate him. And they also, his family doesn't believe that, uh, they don't believe that Rush did it. Or that was one of their conspiracies with, that they told the detective was that I, uh, that I had to have done it. What? Mm-hmm. Oh, his family in Jamaica, like in the island of Jamaica, uh-huh. called my house for six months after everything happened, multiple times a day for six months were until they, I answered the phone. What were they calling for? To threaten, to um, say they're going to chop me up and put me in beef patties. Yeah, there's a comment. I'll find it for you on the internet. What? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, Yes. So they, so hold on a second. So you're telling me that somebody in Russia's family told the detectives that this was a conspiracy, that you were the one that committed the crime, the murders, and then turned the gun on him Mm -hmm. and then shot yourself. uh, Yeah. And uh, I drove him crazy, which is another reason why he did it because, you know, they want to come up with excuses. So they're like, he, he didn't do it, but if he did, it was because of her. That's what they're saying. So they're basically Mm -hmm. just, kind of adding to the narrative here. You know what I mean? Ugh. Yes. So I'm so sorry. And um, I will actually, um, after we're done talking, send me your email and I will forward you all the screenshots. Um, yes, yes, please. There do. was a, there was a photo thread under my daughter's pictures where my extended family, not my direct family, my extended family, like my dad's stepbrother, mm-hmm. my mom's uh, aunt and my like third cousin were going back and forth between Russia's family and my family and everybody was basically cussing each other out and um, just being rude and mean. Oh, uh, his sister was like that fat bastard deserved to die talking about my father. Uh, his sister, Russia's sister. Wow. Wow. That is awful. I'm so sorry you had to go. Not only did you have to live through what you lived through, but then you had to deal with all this aftermath, which is mm-hmm. which is fascinating because a lot of times we hear all the stories that happened, things like this that happened to other people, but we don't hear about this aftermath because there is an aftermath, right? Between family, mm-hmm. family feuds, and then people are blaming, you know, who they're blaming. So this is fascinating to hear this. And, and I just can't believe that you had to, that you had to go through that. And then your families had to get involved, extended family for that, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow. So for I six have, months, I have one great aunt that commented on every single post Rush had posted about the girls that I was tagged in oh, saying wow. that murdering bastard. And the reality was, is I didn't want them to treat his family like that 
at all. Mm-hmm. Like they lost someone. Right. You know, was he a murderer? Absolutely. Was he a piece of crap? Absolutely. But did his family deserve to be talked, threatening, or whatever? I didn't see most of the comments as far as what, from what my family had sent because I got deleted. Um, but why did they have to go to that extent mm-hmm. to basically like, why did it have to be an argument between two families? Like, you know what I mean? There was no argument. Everybody lost somebody, it, right? It's like no exactly. winning. There's no winning. Everybody lost. Exactly. And I just wish that if I could wish anything, I wish things as far as that goes, it would have been different. Of course. Mm-hmm. Because I, I never talked bad about Rush to any of my friends and family. I never talked bad about him. No one knew how bad it was because I was putting on a facade for everyone. No one mm. knew the true details. They thought we were just an unhappy couple. Like, no one knew the real raw dog details of the sexual abuse, of the being woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning just to be called fat and ugly and a terrible mother. And I'm all he has. Like, no one will ever love me like he does. And if I leave, like, um, he's going to commit suicide. And, like, there were... I remember the second time I left, which was when the girls were um, about, I want to say they were about, they were like a month and a half, which was the second time, which is that uh, baby shower. I left while he was at the baby shower. Oh, packed wait, up all my stuff. what? Yeah. I packed up all my stuff and left while he was at the baby shower, while him and his mother and sister were at the baby shower. Okay, so girl, you got to tell me more. So what, okay, so because you just told me, you were like, he was so nice to me. He was like, you don't have to go. And then, so what, what was it? Why did you leave that time? What, what made, what was a triggering point for you to leave that second time? Was it because his mom was there? No. Did I like his mom? No. I, I personally think that she didn't like me because of the color of my skin. And I dating a, black man didn't feel like that what should be a problem Mm -hmm. you know I would think if anybody would understand being judged for the color of their skin given all this civil rights movement and all this stuff happening now right um even though this you know this type of movement wasn't as prominent back then I would have expected like just some respect and love you know why did it have to come down to skin tone Mm -hmm. and um which I'll give you a little bit of background Okay. So Rush's ex shot him in self-defense since she was a white girl. His ex-wife was white who left him on, on Valentine's Day. So they have this preconceived notion that, you know, all these women that he chooses are just terrible people. Like uh, white women are um, terrible. Well, I want to get back to those stories because that sounds crazy. But so, okay, so tell me, continue telling me about why you ended up leaving the second time during the baby shower. So the second time I left was just, I, I had had enough of the little sly comments, the, just everything. I mean, anything you can think about as far as abuse goes, the sexual abuse, the mental, the emotional, the verbal, the having things thrown at me, I, I had had enough. And okay. I couldn't think of a better time to leave then while he was at the baby shower because I knew I would be safe. 
So you just said something that's very interesting to me because like I said, I have kind of read everything, not read everything, but I've tried to read up on everything that happened and I've watched every single video. Well, I've tried to watch every single video that you've put out. Um, and, and one of the things that I caught on to that you said was that he never hit you, right? Is yes, that- he never hit me. But you say a, a few things and, and I want to key in on this. And, and if you want, we can talk about it. If not, we don't we don't have to. Um, but you you said um, I had, you had mentioned before that he had thrown things at you. But now you're talking mm-hmm. about sexual abuse. So so can you tell me can you share with um, with my listeners kind of what that what do you mean by that? Because I I, I think it's I think it's interesting because he never hit you. Um, but there was some sexual abuse. At least that's what, what you're saying. So I would definitely want to hear more about that. He, I don't want to get too into the details just because, um, but there were times where he would force me to have sex with him when I didn't want to and would make me feel guilty and, or I would be asleep and he would, I would wake up to him, um, having sex with me and I would try to push him off and he would hold me down or, Okay, I get it. You don't have to go any further. Um, the time where he thought it would be funny to try and call my parents while we're having sex, while he's forcing me to have sex. Um, and I had to throw the phone across the room. Um, oh, wow. That didn't happen until the last time, about a week before I left the last time. It was November 13th when everything happened. So it was like, I want to say it happened beginning of end of October, beginning of November. Okay. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Was the sexual abuse kind of from the beginning or was that after the girls were born or was that somewhere in between? It was after the girls were born and after they were home from the hospital. Okay. Oh, wow. So it also, it's just kind of, he definitely progressed, right? He Mm -hmm. progressed in, in his, okay. And, and the throwing things, did that, was that kind of before the girls were born? before the pregnancy or when did that kind of start? So the first time he ever threw anything at me was when she lived with us. She was in the okay. kitchen. We had this uh, frame on the wall that said live, laugh, love. And it had pictures of me and him in it. And um, I'm sitting in, I'm not sitting, um, in right by the couch, our nice couch and because we had two living rooms and I'm right by the nice couch in the second living room where the dining room and kitchen are. And he threw this picture from across the room at me and it shattered glass all over the floor. And um, just looked like she didn't know how to act. And I asked her to go to her room and I proceeded to clean it up. I was so upset that he would I was like, why did you have to destroy like this, like our pictures together? Like, what was the point in that? And then, and I was pregnant at the time. I want to say I was on bed rest. So I was probably, if I was on bed rest, it was probably like six months. Wow. And I, uh, I was just upset with him. I was like, and he's like, I'm sorry. I just saw it and had to throw it. And I'm like, why can't you just talk it out? Mm-hmm. What was the need for that? And then um, there were a couple times he threw the tablet at me. One time he threw it at me. I dodged it. It hit the wall and it cracked. He threw it. He then went and picked it up, saw that it cracked, bent it in half over his knee, and then threw it down the stairs. Oh, wow. Um, 
another distinct time that I remember is um, the girls were in bed and we had, I was in the front living room where we were, where everybody was shot. And um, I'm sitting on the couch and I get up to go do something. And he's like, he just, I was like, I don't understand why you have to be so negative all the time. And, you know, and he like, I don't know what else I said, but it pissed him off. And he proceeded to throw the table at me, which had ceramic balls on it and a vase. And they shattered all over the floor and the table was broken. Like the legs were basically broken off of it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the sexual abuse, what I've told y'all is just the beginning um, of some of the things I endured. Um, after the girls were born, um, verbal, mental, emotional, that was from day one. Um, did I know what it was? No. Do I know what it is now? And I can look back and I can, was like, as far as like why I left, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I didn't know what abuse was. I thought it was just physical. I thought it was just hitting like, you know what I mean? I didn't know that what I was going through was abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, like I said, he never hit me. Like, I didn't think I was going through abuse. I thought we just were toxic as far as we weren't compatible. Toxic as far as abuse? No, I just thought we just weren't compatible. We weren't good for each other, and we just needed to co-parent together, and we would get to that point at some point. Um, but I remember calling my dad a week before I left the third time, and... Um, I had opened up to him about the sexual abuse and why he had those missed calls on his phone and why I didn't answer when he called back. And I remember my father crying. My dad never cried. I've only seen my dad cry twice in my life. My dad never cried. And he, he said, either you leave or I'm going to kill him. And I was like, you know what? I need you in my life and I need you to protect me and the girls. Like I'm leaving. And I also, also after opening up about that, my dad proceeded to tell me that um, he had done his own research and that everything I was experiencing was not just your typical, aren't compatible. Mm. He's like, this is abuse. Everything mm-hmm. you're talking about, everything he's doing, all this mind games, all this, mental verbal emotional now this physical now the sexual like this is all mm-hmm. this is all abuse baby like you deserve the world and i do not want you or my granddaughters in that type of environment it's not healthy wow so your dad had already done the research so so yeah. it seems like at least at least on two occasions before everything happened uh, people had come to you, the nurses at the at the NICU, and then your dad a week before everything happened. Was there ever any other occasion where somebody kind of was like, hey, let's chat about domestic violence, or did that never happen? Or was it just those two conversations? Just those two conversations, which when my dad told me all that, I was like, all right, we're going to have to, when my, when my dad had opened up to me and I had opened up to him about everything that was going on, we planned and he's like, we're going to have to plan this when he's not home. Like you're going to have to know he's not going to be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That's why it took me a week. It, that's why it was a week later that we tried to move out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
was because I knew he was going to be on duty that day. And um, I knew he couldn't, I knew he couldn't leave early. He was on plenty of fish, which is another reason I decided to leave was he's cheating on me. Um, Wait a minute. He was on plenty of fish. I know that's where you guys met, but he was on mm-hmm. plenty of fish at what point in the relationship again? Um, I found out two days before I left. I, two days um, was, before everything happened? In mm-hmm, I was looking through his phone, sending myself pictures of the girls um, and um, pictures okay. I didn't have, like of mm-hmm. them uh, on the day they were born and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I was sending them to myself. And then I decided, well, I have his phone and it's unlocked. Let me do a little snooping. Mm-hmm. And I saw that he was on Plenty of Fish. I opened up the messages and all prior messages between these two girls were already deleted. It was just their response. Uh, so I was like, oh, okay. So now you're a cheater. All right. Two days later, I, I, I called him and told him I was leaving. I was like, we're packing up. Like, I'm going to be gone. Um, you called I'll him st- at work? You were the one that called him at work? Mm-hmm. I called him at work and I told him, hey, I'm leaving. Um, you know, I'll stay until with the girls until you get back from work. And you can say goodbye to them or see you later or however you want to do it. Um, I'm not going to keep you away from your daughters. I never will keep you away from your daughters. Um, you know, I was like, I don't want any child support from you. I don't want anything. I just, I think it's time that we, we separate and part ways for the time being. And um, he's like, so you're going to wait to get the moving truck or to pack your things in your dad's truck until I get there? I was like, yeah. Well, there was a neighbor across the street who was in the Navy as well. And I guess he called him and told him that we are packing the truck because Rush literally showed up in 30 minutes. Wait, hold on. Um, You believe that the neighbor called Rush or that Rush called the neighbor to snoop? Either one. You're not sure. Okay. I don't, I'm not, I don't know for sure. Okay. The rumor was that the neighbor called and then the other rumor was... Between me and a couple of friends, they're like, well, didn't Rush have his number? Like, didn't he call him all the time to borrow, like, stuff for the house or, you know, different things? I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. But what was all over the news was that the neighbor had called Rush to tell him. Oh, really? I haven't seen that. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it gets lost. Um, So tell me more about your friend. So you had, um, so I want to go back. So I had to like keep training my, I'm like, okay. So, so I want to learn a little bit more about what, what made you come back the second time. So you, so you left the second time during the baby shower and then you came back. Was there some, was there some promises or something like that that he made that caused you to come back or was it something else? Was it your desire to kind of keep the family together? What, what, what made you come back that second time? There was a lot of reasons, um, empty promises that he made, um, financial mm-hmm. um which is a Big a one. reason that a lot of women go back to abusers it's financial like i i couldn't take care of my girls the way i wanted to Did they have everything they needed absolutely but the only reason they had everything they needed was because of his help and i didn't feel like it was right for him to just keep handing out money and not have access to his children. I mean, he visited all the time. Like he visited my mom's house. We went to church a couple of times together. Oh, okay. Yeah. He, he went to church while I was with my mom that time after I left during the baby shower, I think we went to church like three different times. And, um, 
and then uh, we uh, he would come and he would come after church and hang out with my in my um, me and the girls' room at my mom's house. We would um, he would come over on weekdays or whatever and hang out. Um, so I wasn't keeping the girls away from him, but I I was like you know we're basically like. Like you're basically, we're basically together. Like we were texting all the time, calling all the time. Right. I was like, you know, this isn't, this isn't how I envisioned my family. You know what I mean? I, I wanted that. I figured since we were on such good terms to be texting and calling all the time and everything seemed like it was okay that I could go back and everything would be all right. But when I went, when I went back home that time, that's when the abuse got worse. After you came back that's the second every- time. Mm-hmm. That's when, that's when everything got worse that was i moved back in a week before my birthday my birthday is october 15th so i guess i moved in back in october 8th and you were gone, um, so you were gone for a good month or so right mm-hmm. oh wow okay yeah you said you went to church three sundays three or three day, three times at least minimum with mm-hmm. him so okay you find this plenty of fish text messages or messages while you're while you're on his phone and then um you decide you're going to do this. You had kind of decided the week before because your dad had basically had a conversation with you about domestic violence and what that looks like. Um, tell me about um, you were you had called your friend in. Tell me more about that to help. My mother and brother were in Daytona for a day trip. Mm-hmm. Um, so my mother and brother were having. Um, mother-son time in Daytona, which is about, I want to say like an hour and a half, maybe two hours on a bad day. Okay. I was wondering, they were were shopping for your brother, right? Or something? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They were shopping for clothes for my brother for his birthday. And I got clothes that year for my birthday as well because I just had the girls and nothing fit. There wasn't enough room in my dad's truck for all of our stuff and for the girls and for me because I was going to, I was leaving without a car. Uh, My car was at my dad's house. And um, no one was there to bring my dad's car or my car with to me. So we called Sarah, um, who was my best friend, my ride or die. So we called her and she immediately came and um, she was soothing the girls while my dad and I packed up everything. Mm -hmm. So she was there. She was actually the last person to hold Rose before I took her from her. Mm. And to bring her into the house. Were the girls outside or? Rose was outside with Sarah. And I um, I gave Reese to Rush. Okay. So I went and grabbed Rose from Sarah and she didn't want to hand her to me. I was like, I don't know if she had a gut feeling. I don't know. But she didn't. She was like, are you sure everything's going to be okay? Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. 
It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. I guess, well, walk me back a little bit because so, so I basically know what happens. But so you call Rush to tell him you're leaving, but you're going to wait. Within 30 minutes, you say he shows back up. Kind of yeah. set, set the scene for me. Who's outside in the truck? Who has Rose? Who has Reese? What are you doing? Tell me a little bit more about. And then when, when, when Rush comes in, what is he doing when he walks in? So tell me more about that. Uh-huh. So um, Sarah showed up probably 30 minutes before Rush showed up. What time was and, that at? Mm, I want to say close to three. Okay. Close to three. And we're sitting there and the girls are crying. They need to eat. It's past the time they were supposed to eat. They're miserable, which I'm sure partly they can sense I'm, I'm panicking. You know, I just want to get out and gone before Rush gets back. Right. And uh, I am running up and down the stairs. I'm putting stuff in boxes and, and bins and um, um, clothing baskets and packing up the kitchen, like as far as their formula, their rice, their baby food, their bottles. Like I'm trying to pack all that up and get it um, out into the car. And as I'm in the kitchen, packing, bagging up the formula, um, Rush walks in hmm. and I was like oh I thought you weren't going to be here until like 6 o'clock and he was like oh no I came I came home early I was like I thought you were on duty like how would you even leave mm-hmm. and previously when we were on the phone when I told him I was leaving he threatened to kill me um, in front of somebody who that person was, I don't know, which is why I was in such a distressful panic to get everything out and get gone. Have he ever threatened to kill you before? No. Okay. And so I'm sitting there and I am in a full on panic. And I, uh, when I see him, my heart just sinks into my stomach and I'm like, I'm remembering what he told me. Right. And he is in the kitchen. He's taking off his, um, as a khaki top that he wore with like black bottoms and black shiny shoes. Is that like his military? Uniform? Yeah, like okay. dress uniform. This is just uniform, not his, not his like camouflage. camouflage. Oh, yeah, okay. it was. It was okay. like the dress one. Did he wear that all and the time, or was that just a special occasion? It was just a special occasion. Oh, okay. Uh huh. And. Um, so he's taking off that top. He's in just his white shirt. And um, so I, I, I tell him I'll be right back. And I walk to my dad. I'm like, Dad, we need to call the cops. And my dad looks at me and he said, do you really think he'll do anything? And I'm like, you're right. He's never hit me. Like, how bad can it be? I straight up looked at my dad and said that. You're right. 
he's never hit me. Wow. And he's like, everything will be okay. And I was like, okay. So where were the girls at this point? Um, one was in a swing in the living room and one was with, or Rose was with, Re- or Rose was with Sarah outside. She Reese was in the swing in the living room. Oh, so Sarah just had her outside. Like she was just mm-hmm. getting some cooler. Okay. And yeah. then, and then what happened? So I'm talking to my dad. Rush comes up to us and he says, Hey, uh, Mr. Hyatt, can um, you go outside while me and Megan have a talk? And my dad was like, absolutely. And my dad looked at me and he's like, if you need anything, I'll be here, Megan. And I was like, okay. I was like, Rush, well, let me make the bottles real quick and then we'll get the girls. And he's like, all right. So I'm making their bottles. And um, I hand him the bottle for Reese, which he never held. Reese, he always held Rose. And um, I don't know why. It wasn't intentional. I always held Reese and he always held Rose. Okay. And so I go to Sarah and I, I take Rose out of her arms and I'm like, everything's going to be okay. Everything's good. And I go inside and I, was like, and I told Sarah that we were just going to feed them and have a, a quick conversation. So I go inside and um, he's sitting on the couch to my left and I'm sitting on the couch to his right. And um, he's shaking uncontrollably. Like, the bottle is not even in Reese's mouth. It's, like, shaking in and out of her mouth. Like, he just... And he's asking me all these questions, like, about me being done. And are you really leaving? You're not coming back. And I was like, you're a cheater. You cheated on me. And he's like, I know you cheated on me. I was like, you have plenty of fish. Like, you're cheating. Mm-hmm. You don't want me here. That proves that you don't want me here. And I'm not going to stay anywhere I'm unwanted. And I was like, and I explained to him that he was abusive and that he needed to take some classes again, which he had taken a domestic violence class through the Navy, which he only did because I, the nurse told me he was domestically violent. And I'm like, they're telling me you're domestically violent. He's like, I'll take a, I'll take a class to prove that I'm not. Right. I saw, I think I saw a picture of, or I saw a picture of the domestic violence class. It's like a one hour kind of like class that he took. I saw that. Mm -hmm. He then proceeded to throw Reese on the couch. Right. And tell me, I'll show you what over is, bitch. And um, that's when everything happened. Yeah. He shut the front door. And pulled out his AR-15. So he already had it on him? He had it hidden? It was, it was in the front um, closet, like the coat closet where um, it, it had always stayed. Oh, it was always in the front closet. So he just walked over to it. Mm-hmm. And when he walked over to it, when he opened that door, I knew exactly what he was getting. Because I, I knew it was in that closet. Why what else would he, why would he tell me, I'm going to show you whatever his bitch and... Right. And go to the closet with a gun in it. Right, right. Oh my gosh! And then, and then, I I know everything else that 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 goes that happens. What else? I guess um, there were some things I had read about your dad had kind of told you what his you know his you were the one who heard his last words, or he had mentioned something about telling your brother that he loved him. Uh, was there anything else that, that, you know, did you guys pray in that last minute? Well, I mean, what, 
Um, what could have possibly been going on in your heads right, right then and there? So as I'm on the floor, I'm hearing Rush gurgle on his own blood and um, I'm hearing him die. And I'm also hearing my dad die. And um, I finally knew and knew that Rush was dead. And I, I tell my dad that I'm so sorry. And I'm crying and telling him how sorry I am and how it's all my fault. And I never realized that this was going to happen. And I'm telling him how sorry I am. And he's like, this is not your fault. Don't ever believe this is your fault. Mm -hmm. He's like, are the girls alive? And I said, Rush is dead too. And he's like, what about Sarah? Which I had heard the gun go off outside. So I thought Sarah was dead too. And I was like, I told my dad, I was like, I think she's dead too outside. And um, she was safe and at a, at a um, neighbor's house, thank heavens. Mm-hmm. Um, so we sat there and um, I told him how much I loved him and um, how much he's done for me and how I would always be his little girl. And he's like, I love you so much. And he's like, I'll be watching over the girls in heaven. You know, they'll be safe with me. And he tells me to let my brother know that he is loved as well. And um, and that he loves both of us so much. And it was his time to go. Mm-hmm. And then I um, he gets silent. And I'm hearing him die slowly and I'm screaming for somebody to help us but no one came which later on I I watched the news and read the reports that neighbors had heard us heard me asking for help Mm -hmm. but they knew that there was a gun involved and they weren't gonna send nobody was gonna the 911 operators basically told them to not go. And so I am. Um, told your neighbors? Uh, they had called 911 yeah. as well? Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, I, uh, I sit up and I hear Rush's phone ringing over and over wow. and over again in the kitchen. Oh, wow. And later on, I remembered that later on, I don't know if I remembered or I heard, but I'm guessing it was his mom or sister. Like he had called them to tell them goodbye because he had known what he was going to do. Oh, like on his way home from work, he called them Mm -hmm. and left them. Oh, wow. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I don't, I don't remember. That's what I've heard. Um, I may have been told, or I don't know. Um, my memory of that day, I, there's a lot of things that I know, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I, was, I was listening to, um, I was watching some news reports of 
when everything happened on November 13th. And uh, there were some newscasters that played parts of your 911 call. And what, what caught me was, I was like, I've heard other 911 calls in the past and I was, and I, they're usually like hysterical. You were so calm. Well, what was going through your mind when you were, when you called? I just felt like I needed to say, I needed to stay calm so I wouldn't bleed out. Um, I needed to take small, shallow breaths and I needed to remain calm Mm -hmm. so that I could make it to the hospital. Was that just instinct or was that something that you had watched in the past or how did you, how did you get that like survival instinct of this is how you breathe and this is how you keep yourself from bleeding out? Um, honestly, it was, it was inspired by Heavenly Father. The thought just came into my head. Wow. You know, and I had been begging for my life. And the only reason I was begging for my life is because when I, when I knew my daughters were dead, like, I didn't want to live anymore. I was like, please just take me. And I'm like, wait, like, I can't, I can't leave this earth, like, I need to make sure that other people don't experience what I've experienced. I need to be an advocate and I need to help change the world as far as domestic violence. We start in the U.S. Um, so I begged God for my life. And that's why I was looking for a phone and I crawled about 10, 12 feet to where my dad was. And um, oh. because I saw his phone and I couldn't remember his passcode. <gasps> and, um, and he also had headphones on, which were linked to his phone. Oh, so my gosh. It was, it was a hot mess. Um, How did you get in? Did you press that emergency button? I honestly didn't even think that. But it literally, my dad's passcode was so simple. It was 1111. <gasps> like, how could you not forget that? <laughs> What? Did you just guess it or did you always know it? Or did you, tell me. I Honestly, it just came to my head. (gasps) And I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's one more. (gasps) How could you forget that, Megan? Like, come on. Oh my gosh. um, And then I'm, I'm, I'm dialing 911 and I am sitting there and I'm like, why can't I hear them? And then I look and my dad has his headphones that he always (gasps) has. Oh my and so, gosh. Oh and gosh. my dad wasn't dead at this point, but he wasn't making any noise. <gasps> so wow. I, I, I was, I had had my hand on his chest to see if he was breathing and he was still slowly breathing in and out. So I took his headphones and put the earbud in my ear and was like, yo bro, like, like I'm, I, I can hear you now. Like this is what's going on. Oh. And um, and then I'm sitting there and I'm trying to put my weight on my dad's body to keep him from bleeding out. And because I was shot in my abdomen multiple times, I mm-hmm. couldn't lift myself up on him. Oh. And anytime I put any weight on him at all, he would just moan out in pain. And had he been just shot like center mass like in his in his body or was there... Everywhere. Everywhere, okay. His legs, his abdomen, everywhere. We're sitting there, well, laying there in 
I'm laying in my dad's blood. He's laying in my blood. Um, and I hear, I hear the fire trucks. I hear the ambulances. I hear the police sirens. And I'm just hearing them. Uh-huh. But they're not getting any closer. <gasps> and I'm, I'm beginning to panic. Like, why aren't they coming closer? Right. And later on, like, I'm friends with the rescuers um, that took me to the hospital. And um, that's Jim Wilson and Nate who had to stay there and with the bodies. And... um Nate lived in that neighborhood, still lives in that neighborhood. He lived one street over. And um, he can't even go down that street anymore. Like they used to go down that street on family walks and he can't even go down that street. But Nate told them that this road has two entries like that. Like I'm on South, Shirley Oaks Drive South. Mm -hmm. Like you have to go down this road to get to it. What was the address and of the house that you... I want to say 1342 Shirley Oaks Drive South. Shirley Oaks Drive, okay. But I'm, I could, it could be 1382. I know it starts, I'm pretty sure it's 1342. Yeah, 1300 okay. something. So we're sitting there and then I finally see a cop car go past the house. How could you see it? Was the door, like how... The how- door was open from when my dad came in the house. Oh, okay. Because I, w- I remember reading this and I was so confused. Was like, I thought the door was closed, but your dad had walked in so you could see out the front door. Mm-hmm. That makes so much sense. So at one point, did you say you saw a cop car pull in or drive by, but then they pull back out? They drove by and then they pulled off. And I'm like, dude, I'm here. <gasps> like, we're here. Oh, wow. And it, I mean, less than like, it felt like a lifetime. Right. But they finally came with their guns drawn and came to the house. But they have to clear the whole house before Mm -hmm. they'll let the ambulance in. So I'm laying there on the floor and they're clearing the house. They're asking if there's anybody upstairs. Um, I remember some distinct words about how if Rush moved, they were going to blow his head off. Um, Because I was like, but I told them, I was like, oh, he's dead. I'm just so so calm. You're just like, like sitting there like calm as a cucumber and you're but it's because you're trying to like survive. Yeah. I'm like, he's dead. And then I remember Jerome. I don't I didn't know his name then, but I grabbed his leg. Jerome was like, was he one of the cops or one of the um ambulance? Ambulance. Okay. And I grabbed his leg and I'm like, I'm here, help me. Which everybody that Responded to that call. Everybody that was there that day, um, they always say that it's it's a day they'll never forget. I can't there's imagine. There's a lot of PTSD. There's a lot of trauma. It was a war zone in there. Wow. I mean, it was just, I mean body parts on the ceiling, guns and gun oh. bullets um, rush. Uh, put the gun up in the air and shot up the ceiling and was just shooting, like basically just shooting whatever he wanted to shoot. Did and, he, um, how many bullets did he have to reload? No, I don't, I, I didn't see him reload. I, he could have, I don't remember if he did or not. Okay. Wow. But, um, 
Nate, was he a police officer or was he ambulance? Ambulance. Okay. So Nate, Jim, and Jerome, and there, and so many other people whose names I can't remember. Like mm-hmm. back when we stayed in, when I stayed in Jacksonville with my parent, my mom and stepdad, um, we would do dinner on November thirteenth or around November thirteenth every year with the fire oh. station, and um, they would all come and we would all just enjoy each other's company and just as a way to say how grateful I was that they were there and they took the time to have the training that they have. Um, And then the officers were Tommy Harrington and Don Blind. And I'm friends with them on Facebook and I keep in contact with them through Facebook. Okay. Wow. That is so, I, so as soon as they clear the house, they, uh, they're able to attend to you first, I'm assuming because you're the only yes, surviving they, it moved so fast so they basically threw me on this tarp with that had handles on it mm-hmm. i don't know what it's called but it it was like a tarp that has handles on it and so they get me outside on the gurney and then i'm in the and then i'm in them in the back of an ambulance and then they're asking me all these questions and i'm telling them about my mom and brother who are in because my mom's number was the only number I could remember besides my dad's. Right. And I was like, I told them her number, but I said, don't call her because she's in Daytona and I don't want her to get in an accident on the way back. Mm. But they, so little did I know that the news was already covering it. <gasps> and my of course, mom, of course they are. Of course. Yeah. And my mom, um, had a feeling in the middle of Macy's, She's like, we need to go. Wait, what? She had a feeling? Yeah, she's like, we need to go. Like, I'm done shopping. We're going to go grab food, and then we're going to head home. Like, randomly? Randomly. Okay. And then they're at Cheddar's in Daytona, which is, I I don't know, it's a restaurant. I do. I I know Cheddar's. Yeah, and so my brother is looking at the phone (gasps) on Facebook, and then they see my well, Rush's house, our house, mm-hmm. on the news. They see our neighborhood on the news. Mm-hmm. And my brother's, like, freaking out. He's, like, <gasps> calling my dad. My dad's not answering. Oh, my God. My mom's calling me. I'm not answering. No one's answering. No one knows what's going on. So my mom was going. All she did was pray the whole entire time she's going down the highway. Please let us make it home safe. Please let make us let us make it home safe. No traffic, no nothing. She was on like 120 down the highway. They get to her house or my stepdad's house in San Augustine. And then my aunt and uncle get in their van. Everybody hops in the van and then they drive to my house in Ocean Way, which is, it was during rush hour traffic, I believe. And I was already in surgery and... But they still um, didn't know that something had happened to you guys. Well, they figured because we weren't, we both weren't answering our phones. Because you both it was were my neighborhood. Dang. Yeah, and it was in my neighborhood that we lived in. Then they figured, they knew. And the whole entire way in the van on their way to Ocean Way, which is about an hour drive from St. Augustine. Wow. And especially in rush hour traffic. And my brother was saying, um, 
he's dead. I know dad is dead. Dad's dead. Dad's dead. And that's all he kept saying the whole entire ride. And they thought that me and my dad would have, we, we were going to be gone and the girls would be alive. Oh, so the whole time they have, they're, they're playing out this narrative in their own head, which is completely different than what actually ended up happening. Mm-hmm. And so they get there and um, my mom sees everybody at our house and she, she's pushing through the crowd and she is asking what's going on. And then they say, um, my mom is like, that's my, that's my daughter's and her boyfriend's house that's that's her house and they're like and and they were like where are the babies where are the babies and the officer told them that there was only one survivor and it was me and so, so they found out they, about it right there mm-hmm, okay. and what they eventually found out what found out what hospital i was at and such and my mom just basically collapsed her knees in front of the tape and was just like which is so, so overcome with emotion. Everybody was just so overcome with emotion. And then I'm at the hospital and I think my first surgery was like 14 hours. And then my second surgery was like 12 hours. And that was a two hour break in between just to see if I would live between the two surgeries. Wow. I died on the table multiple times. I bled out multiple times. I, um, yeah. Wow. What, what, um, I guess I, I, I always think that medicine is, is a miracle, right? That the doctors could triage your injuries. So mm-hmm. I've heard you tell, um, uh, I've heard you on TikTok tell everyone about the extent of your injuries, but why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners about, um, about wh- where you had been shot and then basically the result of those wounds. And then I know that even just up until, was it like a week ago that you had surgery, another surgery? Yes. And now and I it's, have another one coming up too. And we're October of 2020. So almost five years. So go ahead and mm-hmm. tell us, um, tell us, tell us all, all that you survived. So I was shot in the face. Um, a bullet went through my right eyelid, broke my nose and into my left eyelid. As a result, I lost my left eye. Um, I now have a prosthetic eye. Um, I was shot in the left wrist. Um, I was shot in the right breast. Um, I have two areas in my abdomen where I was shot. Um, I was also shot in my right leg. But as far as the abdomen goes, um, I lost part of my liver, a third of my liver. Um, my kidneys were damaged. I had an appendectomy, so my appendix is out. Um, I lost part of my pancreas and um, part of my gallbladder. My I lost part of my large intestine and small intestine, and my colon had to be rerouted. Um, the only surgeries I have now are on my left leg. Um, I had an amazing amazing trauma orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Helms at Shands in Jacksonville. And he was able to get me to a point where I could be functional. 
and then um, due to just a contractor in the leg, which just means like you can't straighten your leg all the way because it's like the muscles tight in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to have surgery again. And now that I'm in um, that Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex, I have um, Dr. Nana who is doing so many things and Dr. Garrett who are doing so many things to get my leg to look more aesthetically pleasing to the eye as far as like removing skin grafts and making re- reducing scars that are giant um, gigantic and um, I did have a surgery I've had three surgeries in the last three months I had one on July 20th or July 17th one on August 20th and then I had one last um, Friday, October 9th. Wow. Okay. How many surgeries total have you had? Do you remember? I have no idea. I've lost count. But I think like over 20, right? Is that, mm-hmm. is that right? It's close to 30. Close to now. 30. Okay. Yeah. I've just had three in the last, you know, four months, three months. Wow. So these are all your physical injuries. Can you tell me a little bit more about like the, the mental health aspect of it and what I was reading about something that you did to kind of overcome. You were having, I don't know, over 30 nightmares. Oh, was it a night or a week? A week. And then you kind of, uh, tell me more about that. So I did MNRI, which is very complicated, but basically it's working on fixing your brain mm-hmm. and reconnecting your brain connections Mm -hmm. to where they were before trauma so I did that for I want to say a year year and a half I did that in um in St. Augustine Florida and I it was life-changing it was life-changing I the trauma triggered my bipolar um and so now I'm bipolar um it, I have always had depression mm-hmm. and anxiety, but now it's managed with medication where before I never managed it with medication. Mm-hmm. Um, my PTSD is managed with medication. I see a therapist. I see a psychiatrist. Um, I have a lot Um of things I have to do constantly to stay mentally healthy. I have a great support system. Um, and I just have a lot of people looking out for me and wanting the best for me. And they keep me on track as far as mentally. If I'm falling into a rut of depression or anxiety, mm-hmm. um, they help me come up with a plan to get out of it. Yeah, so. of course. Wow. I think you I think uh I think your 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 strength in that moment um especially where you, where you kind of and it's interesting to hear um what you said about in the moment where everybody had been shot and it was just kind of like quiet and you didn't want to live and then something like clicked and then you're like no I need to live because I need to be able to help people in this situation. Um tell me a little bit more about what cuz you've been doing not only trying to recover physically and mentally and emotionally uh, on your own, uh, but you've also uh, in in been 
reaching out and helping other people who may find themselves in the same situations situation as you and Rush. So tell me a little bit more about how you're how you've been reaching out and how you've been um, how you've been helping other victims of domestic violence. So I am considered I consider myself a domestic violence activist. Mm-hmm. I'm giving speeches. I have a speech in Dallas next year whether it's a virtual or in person. Um, I'm also, I've done two speeches, one at a press conference for Hubbard House and one at their Barbara Ann Campbell breakfast. A lot of people in my circle reach out to me when their family members or friends are experiencing domestic violence and they want advice. Right. Um, I also am in the works um, we just created shirts mm-hmm. to spread awareness, which um, we sold, I think it was like 54. And then um, in November, we're, we're going to release um, something pretty awesome. On November 13th, the anniversary, we're going to release a clothing item that okay. will hopefully um, spread awareness and fund my book that I'm working with someone to write. And, awesome. Um, Send me a link. Are you still selling the t-shirts? Um, not right now. Okay. But um, November 13th, we will be. Okay. Well, when that comes out, I'm going to reach out to you um, so you can send me a link so I can put that on my social. Okay. And um, we are, what else are we doing? Um, we're in the works of creating an organization to further the cause. And we just have so much going on. Mm -hmm. Um, Me and my network that we're trying to just spread awareness and really um, help change some lives. I know, see, it's it's a long process. So you go from victim Mm -hmm. and then you want to become a survivor. And then you want to become a fighter. You want to fight for yourself. So how do you go from victim, survivor to fighter? Like, what is that transition? And there are parts of my life where I'm still a victim. There are parts of my life where I'm a fighter. Mm-hmm. And then there's parts of my life where I'm a survivor. But how do I get every part of my life, all these different aspects of what makes me me, how do I get all of it from victim to fighter? How do I make that transition? Mm-hmm. And I want to create a organization that's going to support women and basically help them make the effort mm-hmm. to transition themselves from a victim to a survivor, to a fighter. I want to give them the resources. I want to show them the resources so that they can make the choice because you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Right. But I feel like there's a lot we can do to help women know that they don't have to go back. Mm-hmm. They will be okay if they don't go back. Wow. Yep. That's amazing. In this next section, I asked Megan to share her battle with the Navy in civilian court after the triple murder. Tell me more about your so after everything happened you uh fi- you and your mom filed suit against the navy tell me more yeah. about those charges or, or not charges tell me more about the the lawsuit sorry so i mainly i didn't i didn't want money from the navy i wasn't in it for the money i wanted there to be some type of 
changed when it comes to domestic violence because Rush had all these charges against him, like the strangulation charge mm-hmm. that was dropped down from a to a misdemeanor from a felony. Like, how is he still in the Navy with that? And then his ex, you know, Mar- um, his ex girlfriend, you know, shoots him in the leg and you know, there's nothing about done about that when they drop the charges against the girl. Mm-hmm. You know, why, why, you know, how is it that all these women came forward after what happened to me and they're all coming up with these, they're all telling their story about what they experienced with him. How, how, how is there nothing done? Mm-hmm. And apparently there was a lot of women that reached out to his commanding officers and nothing was ever done. Wow. And, I just, I wanted them to take responsibility for their actions and come up with the plan so that what I experienced and what my daughters and what my father experienced would never happen again. Yeah. And what was the result of that? Can you tell my, can you tell the listeners what the result Mm -hmm. of that was? So we filed suit and we couldn't get any information and from the Navy, they wouldn't release his files or anything. And so we didn't have proof of anything so basically we didn't have a case even though we went forward we had a lot of information as far as um from exes and things like that on how they failed and um you know the threat of him wanting to kill me that day that everything happens and um basically we had no case they sided with the navy and the case was dropped i could have um, I could have appealed, appealed, but I, um, I didn't because I knew I wasn't going to win. And, you know, it's a great thing that I didn't, because I know if I had one, I would have had to sign an agreement saying I wouldn't talk about the military's involvement or even talk about my story at all. I am so glad I'm able to share what I want to share uh, as much as I want to share and as in, in detail as I want to share and that I don't have to worry about having to hide something um, from other people that because I'm not allowed to talk about it. Right. Um, I want to be as trans- transparent as possible, share my story to its fullest and change lives. And now that I have that freedom, I'll share as much as I want. Right. Right. You go girl. <laughs> yeah. I was reading about the, the, that Navy, the Navy case. And I was like, wait, what? They basically had said something like, uh, the, it, it, I, I read it verbatim. It was like the Navy cannot control its people. I'm like, yeah. Okay. Where can my listeners go to follow you, uh, to follow your story and then to see the next couple steps that you're going to be taking? Because it seems like you have a lot of big things coming up soon. So I have a Facebook. It's Megan Rose Hyatt. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that Facebook, I accept every friend request um, and they can follow me as well on that Facebook. Um, my Instagram is no more silence 2015. And that's the same as my TikTok, which is no more silence 2015. If they wanted the most up to date, um, they would, they probably follow me on Facebook. That's where I post the most, um, information. There's a lot of, um, information on there from previous posts on 
what I was going through when I made this post or during that time with, in that relationship with Rush. And um, that's where either my Instagram or my Facebook is where I post the most. Okay. What is it? So we talked a little bit about this, about how motherhood is hard and how sometimes when you're in the thick of it, it kind of sucks, right? Um, But then in retrospect, it's the most amazing time ever. What is it about your two little girls that you miss the most besides everything? I miss their personalities. Rose was like a fox, which it's ironic <laughs> because her first stuffed animal was a fox. Oh. She was very spitfire, foxy, just like like if you imagine a fox like flicking their tail at you. Uh-huh. I mean, just like all over the place. Like, and she, she was, was only just, five months old. Yes. <laughs> yes. I was going to have my hands full. Um, obviously, I would have taken that any day of the week, any, mm-hmm. any, any moment. Um, and then... Reese was like an owl, which is ironic because her first stuffed animal was an owl. Oh. And Reese was just very observant and quiet. She just watched everything. And they found comfort in each other. I would wake up in the morning and I would hear them on their baby monitor and they would be talking to each other. You obviously oh. couldn't understand them, but right. they understood each other. And they would just go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And there was most days they would do that for like an hour until I went in there and was like, all right, it's time to get up. But they never cried in the morning when they woke up. They had each other. They would talk to each other and they really found comfort in each other from a young age, from day one. I mean, from, from them growing in my stomach, they had each other, you know? Mm-hmm. So they, they really found comfort in each other. Were they fraternal or what's the they other They were one? identical, but they you were can't identical. really, they were identical, but you can't really tell because there's a weight difference. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So a pound, a pound when you're only five pounds is, is a lot. Right. Um, so, um, Reese was the chunkier of the two, and Rose was the smaller one. What do you miss the most about your dad? It seems like he was your hero, your rock. What do you miss the most about him? I miss his words of wisdom. Mm. He was so wise. I mean, so wise. I miss his words of wisdom. What, I guess, if you had just a couple sentences of uh, what your own wise words to tell someone um, who might find themselves in a similar situation. I guess, what, what, will your, what would you say? Reach out to a shelter or the National Domestic Violence Hotline to come up with a safety plan. And also remember, it's never too late to change your ending. Thank you so much. All right. Well, I want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for um, being willing to talk to me and chat with me. And uh, I know that my my listeners are going to um, definitely um, be thankful that you were willing to share. So thank you so much.
Thank you to today's MVP, Megan, for sharing her amazing story of tragedy and rising up from the ashes. She literally faced evil head on and at just 21 years old, she was able to have the wherewithal to keep herself together and to play dead. First, she prayed that she could die to be with her girls in heaven. But then in a selfless act, she prayed that she could live to share her story. And here we are, close to five years later, over 25 surgeries and counting. Megan walks to podiums even when doctors told her that she'd never walk. And she holds her head up high and she tells her story. What I love about Megan is that she does not pretend to be faultless. She admits that, you know, she may have caused an argument or two. But you know what? None of us are perfect. But no one, and I mean no one, has a right to place their hands on another human being. If you or someone you know is in need of a chat about domestic abuse, mental abuse, or any other type of abuse, physical or non-physical, you can get help with the National Domestic Violence Hotline, and they can be reached at 1-800-799-SAFE. That is 1-800-799-7233. Thanks for listening, everyone. Make sure that you go and follow Megan's journey on her Facebook at Megan Rose Hyatt and on Instagram and TikTok at No More Silence 2015. This episode was produced in collaboration with all of my lovely patrons. The show was created by Mama Margot Productions and the music was created by Tie Ups. As always, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next week. Shh, let's work another podcast.